Welcome to the Leadership Forum, making an impact through effective leadership. Your host is Bernard E. Robinson. Bernard and his guests foster in-depth discussions about leadership. You'll find this program a powerfully engaging platform for great conversations about leadership and leadership learning. Now, here is your host, Bernard Robinson. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Leadership Forum. I'm your host, Bernard Robinson, and thank you for joining me. In today's program, as a leader, are you playing at the top of your game? My question to you is, are you playing at the top of your game? In today's program, I'd like us to examine the notion of leadership performance, but I'd like us to examine it from a personal place. What I mean is I want to seek to have you engage yourself with me in a personal examination of your level of competence as a leader and challenge you to consider several other questions like, how good are you? Now, I know I'm asking this question and moving from questioning perhaps to even meddling, but it's, it's just us in a conversation between friends. And since I've asked this question, I might as well step a little deeper into your business and ask you another question. How do you know how good you are? Uh, now, by now, I've probably really crossed the line and got a little closer to your business than even the first question. And so, while I probably made both of us a little uncomfortable with these questions, maybe not, but in since uh, I've dug a hole so deep for myself so far, I might as well ask this last question. Just one more. Why should anybody be led by you? Now, please don't hang up on me. I'm not trying to be disrespectful at all. And I hope that you haven't decided that you've had enough of me on this nice Monday morning. My intention in asking you these questions, though, are honorable and quite useful. Because when it comes to leadership and leadership learning, which is the format and formula for the forum and it's what it's all about. If leadership is a performing art, and it is, if a leader is going to play at the top of their game, these are the kinds of questions that may be very helpful and appropriate to ask. As leaders, you need to not merely know what leadership is, but also how to really be good at it. There are a couple of quotes that I have in my book, The Skills of an Effective Leader, that speak to this notion, and they simply say, one, Average people look for ways of getting away with it. Successful people look for ways of getting on with it. Now, there's one other quote I'd like you to hear, and it's by a former uh, basketball star, a guy by the name of Hakeem Olajuwon, who used to play for the Houston Rockets. He put it this way, in order to be successful, you must have principles and discipline. You can't be successful if you don't have the discipline Preparation is the most important thing in everything, really, because it is how will, how well you prepare that will determine your confidence level. What also makes a difference is not just saying what you're going to do, but rather visualizing it and actually see it happening. Victory is not out of your control. You prepare yourself for victory. You think and plan and train and sweat and work as hard as you can to reach your goal. And you go out and perform at your absolute best because that's the only way to play. You will not only win without that. You will not win without that. So what are the principles? What are the disciplines? 
what is the preparation that's needed that you and I need, if you will, to play at the top of our game? What must you do and I do to play the game of leadership at the top of our game? Let's dive in and explore, perhaps discuss, and even debate this question and the others that were raised. For context, consider that every day that you step in your office or your workplace, uh, that is where you live your eight hours or more a day, there are fresh new events that you can't predict or even know are coming at you. And that really, uh, that you've left behind the day before in some cases. Some of these challenges are simple and others are more complicated. Either way, your effectiveness as a leader and your ability as a problem solver, a topic that we'll explore more deeply in a future show, requires that you know how to deal and perform as a leader. Playing the game of leadership is simply intended to suggest that when you and I are given the privilege to lead, it's not only a substantial responsibility, it is a call to play the game well. Now, leadership certainly is not a game. Said differently, those who accept the privilege to lead also accept the responsibility to learn what the game requires and to perform their role and carry out their responsibilities at the top of the game. As a leader, you and I should hold ourselves to the highest standards of performance in seeking to meet the expectations of those who have signed on with us as followers and for ourselves in the role of leader. In order to perform and execute the role of leader, we'll need to know several foundational ideas that I think every leader should know that can impact the effectiveness of their leadership. The first involves understanding the four levels of competence with a special attention to what I call the red zone. The second covers the science of breakthrough performance. Those essentially are what we're gonna wrap our conversation around, but along the way, I wanna talk about the problem with ego and what I call the circle of competence. Each of these ideas and constructs will provide an intellectual awareness and some practical considerations that you and other leaders can use to ensure that your leadership continues to evolve and grow. Finally, if time allows, we'll talk about the principle of personal mastery. We'll see what that looks like in terms of our time. And two, I want to describe my model of leadership competence and some of the competencies that that I've included in my leadership development program, the skills of an effective leader. That's a stretch for us, but we'll see. I believe the understanding of these foundational ideas, that is the idea of the ego, the circle of competence, the whole notion of the competencies that you need, uh, the whole idea of the science of breakthrough performance, I believe that these ideas and concepts will enable you to play at the top of your game, not just now, but as you grow and proceed in mastering your leadership responsibilities along your leadership journey and well into the future. So the question I would raise for you and ask you to think about, answer, call, and talk with you about it is what is competence? That's the first question. And secondly, what is this notion of the circle of competence? Well, competence, as many of you already know, is the ability to do something successfully or efficiently. That is, the ability to do something successfully or efficiently. For example, the guy I mentioned earlier, Akeem Lajwan, was a highly competent basketball player. Those who know basketball would probably agree. That is to say, he was better than average, 
better than just able to play basketball successfully or efficiently. He was better than average in his skill, efficiency, and success. Before, and perhaps in order to describe the circle of competencies and circle of competence, let's understand the four levels of competence. In psychology, the four stages of competence, or the, comp- the conscious competence learning model, as it's also called, relates to the states involved in progressing from being incompetent to being competent in learning and mastering a given skill. Initially, these uh, were thought to be just about competence, but they really are about learning as well. In essence, these steps or stages describe the four stages of learning and provide a model for understanding how to become competent. Let me describe and illustrate each level. As I do, before I do, I'd like you to put yourself in the role of a leader or whatever position that you work in right now and ask yourself, in terms of my personal level of learning and competence, where am I as you look at these levels? Let, let's look at them. I'd also say, if you've not seen this model, it's, it's online, you can go look at it as well. But let's start where I'd like to start. That is, it's a, if you had a piece, a piece of paper and a pencil, you could put these down, but it's four different little blocks. It's four different little cells, if you will. And the first one is at the bottom, is which, which is where we'll start, which is the box that's called unconsciously incompetent. Now, just because you hear the term, you can almost know what it says, but unconsciously incompetent is a level where the leader learner is unaware he or she does not know that they don't know. They're really clueless, if you will. Many of us perhaps have not worked for leaders who are unaware that they don't know that they know. Sometimes we may wonder about that as we see them operate, but nonetheless, unconsciously incompetent is simply a level of where you don't know that you don't know. Now, as you walk up this ladder, if you will, the next level above unconsciously incompetent is consciously comp- in- consciously incompetent. Now, in this level, the leader learner knows that they don't know that they don't know, that they are aware, at least. They've moved from being unaware to being aware. It's a much better place to live, if you will. At least I know that I don't know, and I may have an opportunity to do something about that. So when you move from being aware that you are incompetent, you can make a decision. You can make a decision to move forward, move up, move on. And where you move from there is what's called consciously competent. It's a level at which the leader learner is both aware and working to effectively and efficiently be capable and skilled. They are consciously competent at what they do. And they work hard to be at least able to meet the mark of being very good. Now, if you think about it in terms of basketball, again, because I introduced Hakeem Olajuwon and basketball into the notion, this is a person who knows how to, if you will, shoot, dribble, at least in an average way to get themselves up and down the court and can, in fact, make uh, the moves that you would expect for one to make as a basketball player. They consciously are able to do what's needed to be done to play the game. The question would be raised for you as a leader, do you consciously know 
what's needed to play the game. We talked earlier in our different shows about the whole notion of what leadership is, the whole idea of the relationship, the, the character and the trust that's needed between a leader and a follower. But as a leader, you cannot be unaware of what's required to be consciously competent. Sometimes they, these are referred to as competencies, and they're competencies, in fact, 17 in the program that I mentioned that I have, but they're competencies that leaders need to know, should have, should be aware of. Once you've moved to a place where you're consciously competent, you know how to do the job, you go in, you get it done, you're pretty good at what needs to be done. You really can check all the boxes and say, this is what a leader does, and I do pretty good at it. Well, if you get to that place, sometimes you get so good at being consciously competent that you move to another level. And that level is where, and it's called unconsciously competent. You now are doing things, if you will. The leader learner is aware as well as, if you will, unaware and sometimes not even sure why they are so good. Now, later we'll talk about the whole notion of science of performance, but these are guys who, if you look at it in terms of uh, performance, these are your top leaders in industry and, and perhaps even in government. These are the guys who, in athletic terms, are playing really at the top of the game. They are the Derek Jeters. They are the Michael Jordans. These are guys who perform, and somehow, for them even, they're not sure why they're so good. They're just so good, and that's just the way it is. Now, this is a place where not all of us get to. We do have to, most of us, work to get to where we need to be, and it's a good place. It's not a bad thing. Unconsciously competent, sometimes it's a God-given gift, and you just do it because you just do it. You just don't know how you do it so well. Now, there is a place, though, that's a dangerous place for you when you get to be unconsciously incompetent, and there's a space, if you will, between consciously competent and unconsciously competent. And that's a space that I call the red zone. Now, I call it the red zone because it's a place that can be, if not understood, a very uh, hazardous place for a leader to live, for any performer to leave, for that matter. As we talk about consciously competent, unconsciously competent, what we're talking about is performance. Now, here's the deal. When you get to the red zone, there are things that creep in. There are things like, for example, your ego or the ego. There are things like pride or your pride, my pride. There are things like habits. Those are things that you kind of haven't mastered yet. In some cases, they actually master you. And they're dangerous for a leader, and they're things that a leader should know, particularly if they're so good that they just don't have to even think about it. Sometimes they won't recognize that what, in fact, are habits are really the things that will bring them down. Now, this red zone that I'm talking about is not an official part of the competency model. It's, it's a stick-in, if you will. It's what I stuck in. It is a term that I use to describe the place where top performers begin to take for granted the requirements for being consciously competent or the requirements to be really personally uh, mastery, mastering your performance. In this zone or in this particular part of this model, the, uh, the fact is the performer or the leaders are often confronted with the, the parts of their personality. Uh, this is where you show up for real, if you will. 
uh, it's a part of your personality and or those behavioral attributes and flaws that can detract from your ability to remain focused and centered. It is a place where personality and psychic attributes such as ego again, arrogance, pride, and habits live and are fed. It's somehow kind of an interesting uh, dilemma. I'm good and I know I'm good, so I don't really have to worry about being good, but then you have to worry about the fact that maybe your ego is telling you that you're not as good as you, or you're not as good as you think you are. The red zone, again, is a cautionary territory, and very often folks are not aware when they're entering the stone. If not understood and managed, it can be destructive to a, to a learner, it can be destructive to a performer, it can be destructive to uh, a leader. The ability to stay focused and perform and play at the top of your game requires that you learn what's in your red zone and learn how to manage it. Now, usually and normally, the red zone shows up only when you are good, uh, really, really good. I shouldn't say that because it, it can show up even at the consciously competent level as well. But it's just usually if it does show up there, just before you get to the point where you know what you know and you know what you know very well and you can do it very well, just as you're crossing the threshold to be uh, unconsciously competent when you just do it because you know you're good at doing it, you can do it anyway, you get to the place where this particular piece can show up. Now, it is also where performers may and must contend with the psyche, the psyche their psyche. Uh, I want to come back after our break in a few uh, minutes or half a minute or so and talk about a particular thought by Carl Jung, a psychologist. He calls this, in fact, I'll give it now. It looks like we have time for that. He calls it your shadow. By the way, each of us have one. It's that part that shows up that we don't even remember is there. So on the other side of the break, we're going to finish up with this red zone and then we'll move us on to another part of the discussion that deals with the habits and talks a little bit about those. So in about uh, 30 seconds, we're going to take a break, and I want to get you to take uh, time to think about sending me a question or two. You can get me at leadershipforum at ihdinc.org, or in fact, you can call in at one 866 472-5790. We'll see you after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. 
The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to the Leadership Forum, making an impact through effective leadership. To reach host Bernard E. Robinson or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you would rather send an email, you may send it to leadershipforum at ihdinc.org. Now, back to the Leadership Forum. Welcome back, and thank you for staying tuned. For those who are just uh, tuning in, this is the Leadership Forum. I'm Bernard Robinson, your host. And before the break, I, we were talking about the red zone, and I wanted to finish up with it and talk about a couple of the elements of the habits, for example. But we were talking about this whole notion of this red zone. We're talking about competence. We're talking about playing at the top of your game. And I was wanting to say, as we continue our discussion, the problem with the red zone is simply this. It invites in, again, ego, arrogance, pride, and habits, and, and, and their cousins, all of which are bad, bad news, if you will, because they bring problems. Uh, the problem they bring is that when you are a top performer or when you are a highly competent leader, the red zone is a place where some performers, some leaders, begin to lose their focus and their edge and begin to forget that what got you where you are won't keep you there if you're not aware of what's in your red zone. It can cause one to lose their humility. It can cause one to take their eye off the prize, as it's called. And it can take one or have one lose control of their competency, quite frankly. Most of us are aware, for example, as we talk about leaders and we talk about performers, of performers who have been just outstanding in terms of their skills, but the, the the habits that they've had, the arrogance that they allow to creep in, the ego that they may not have managed as well, and the pride, really begin to nibble away, marginalize their impact, and it can happen for an athlete, it can also happen for a leader, particularly if they're unaware of who they are and where they're going. What I'd, what I'd say to every leader, and I'd say it to myself as well, I ask these three questions of myself as I've grown older and early, and even in my college years, it was given to me by a psychologist that I was at in college. And he asked three questions of, of all of us, and he asked us to really think about these. As you grow, as we go, I was training to be a teacher. What he wanted all of us to know, all of us were training to be teachers, what he wanted us to know is that we need to know ourselves as well as we know how to teach. And he asked us three questions. Who are you? Where are you going? And why? And so I've really kept those questions in my forefront. So even as I've grown and done different things in my career, 
I'm always conscious of those three questions. And I got out of college a long time ago, but those three questions still resonate. Who am I? Where am I going and why? By the way, who are you? Where are you going and why? And and that relates to this whole notion of defining and answering the question, what is the process for de- defining one's circle of competence? Now, I have to talk about the term. I'm laying on a term here. The term circle of competence comes from a statement I picked up one day in listening to an interview with Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett was asked by the person who was interviewing him, with all the money that you have, why don't you venture into other areas of work? His answer was enlightening. He said that he discovered long ago what his circle of competence was, and he stuck with it. Now, I thought about his description, and I thought his description was pretty neat. It was a neat way of capturing the notion of what makes people successful at what they do. By the way, what makes you successful at what you do? What makes you successful as a leader or whatever else you do? It also tied in with some of the thoughts I had about competence in general and the stages of competency development, specifically for leaders. I decided to coin Mr. Buffett's term and add more fabric to it by aligning it with my own discussions about competence and how competence relates to achieving high performance. Now, what I what I am saying, I guess, is I believe every high performer and every high performing leader has a circle of competence. That is, they have a set of skills and a set of affinities, if you will, for doing some things very well. Now, I would suspect you don't. No leader does everything well, but whether they are innately endowed with this affinity or capability, they tend to do well what they do in their circle of competence. As I think about the idea, I'm reminded of my mother's admonition to be careful not to be a jack of all trades, but a master of none. So I ask that question, even as we talk about this notion of competence, what is your circle of competence? What is it that you've learned about yourself that you do, and you do well, and it really is the the, the framework, the sandbox that you kind of do well. I mean, if you were a preacher, the problem is that when you think about your own circle of competence, are you aware of what that circle of competence is? What happens is, even with the performance, competently, consciously competent or unconsciously competent, you must understand that your circle of competence is something that you should be able to define and it will also affect the way you perform. And so as a top performer or a highly competent leader, you want to know, not only know the red zone, which is where you'd want to you'd want to hopefully be either right near or above, but you want to be able to be clear about what your circle of competence is. Now, let me say just a few other things, and then I'm going to move our discussion to this whole notion of how to be a top performer. If you happen to be in a level of learning of leadership where you are unconsciously competent, that is, you're working and you're doing it and you got it going on, you'd want to also be aware that when you lose humility uh, and you take your eye off the prize, you lose control of your capacity to perform. Dr. Mark Carr 
quotes it in our proverb. He simply says it this way, quote, he who knows and knows he knows, he is a wise man, seek him. He who knows and knows not he knows, he is asleep, wake him. He who knows not and knows he's, he knows not, he is a child, teach him. He who knows not and knows not he knows not, he is a fool, shun him. Now, I wouldn't go so far as that to take that quote literally, but it is an idea that the notion of knowing oneself is important. It's a very nice uh, takeoff and expansion of Socrates' quote which talks about knowing thyself and who simply suggests that to know thyself is the beginning of wisdom. Simple quote. Another quote that's kind of helpful is helpful is a, is a, Tao, is a Tao teaching uh, quote. It says, knowing others is intelligence. Knowing yourself is true wisdom. Mastering others is strength. Mastering yourself is true power. When the performer, yourself, is a leader, enters the red zone again, they too often forget the lesson. So we're going to move past that because as a performer, leader, worker, how do you engineer breakthrough performance? Let's say that you're in a good place, you're very competent, you know exactly what you should do as a leader or as a performer in whatever position you have. But as a performer, leader, worker, how do you engineer breakthrough performance and, and stay, if you will, in the winner's circle? There's a quote that says, high performers are not 10 to 20 times more intelligent than other people. It is the methods and the resources they use that are unusually powerful. So what are those methods? What are those re- resource, re- those uh, resources that you can pull upon to become, if you will, an engineer of high performance and breakthrough performance. I want to provide you with a prescription of the things that both research and my experience suggests will enable you to be an effective leader and be as effective as you can and stay as close as you can, if not in the winner's circle. The, the way in which I would approach that is to ask you this question. What is it that you would need to know and do to be sure you're doing the best as a leader. Let me repeat that. What is it that you would need to know and do to be sure you're doing your very best as a leader? That's an important question. I don't have the answer, and hopefully it'll be a challenge for you to consider. What is it? What is your answer to that question? It really is an important question because it leads to what is called personal mastery. It leads to a discipline where you're able to consciously know what it is you need to do to engineer breakthrough performance for yourself as well as for your organization. Now, there's a whole lot of information that's out there, so I'm going to try to give a thumbnail of what I believe is important for you to know about how to engineer this breakthrough performance because it could sound mysterious and it's not. The majority of psychological evidence indicates that experts are made, not born. According to expert mind, quote unquote, in Scientific America, American, what matters is not experience per se, but quote unquote, effortful study. Now, most of us who are listening have been to school for a long time, and the teacher would suggest to us, just study 
what we're giving you and you'll be fine. And that's, in fact, very true. Effortful study, though, let's talk about what it is. It involves continually tackling challenges that lie just beyond your current level of competence. Let's think for a second. Let's say that you are consciously competent, but you want to get better and better. Well, the effortful study notion would simply say this. Pick out a task, pick out a goal, pick out a target that's just beyond your level of competence, your level of skill, your level of ability, and stretch yourself to get there. The idea is that the best people in any field are those who devote most hours or more hours to what researchers call effortful study and deliberate practice. So these concepts of the idea of getting better come from studying and practice, effortful study and deliberate practice. Deliberate practice is the activity that is explicitly intended to improve performance in a way that reaches the objective. So if you set an objective, for example, to move just beyond your current level of competence and you not only put the time into study and continually push yourself to learn more, but you also deliberately practice the things that are needed. So deliberate practice is that activity that's intended to improve your performance and allows you to reach those objectives that you got in front of you and move your level of competence to perhaps a slightly higher level of competence. And it, it, it involves simple things, three simple things, in fact. It involves, number one, uh, it, it comes from, I should say, uh, the lack of uh, understanding of what deliberate practice involves. The, the, the point that I want to make before I give these three pieces is simply, in, in the study that this gentleman, Jeffrey Colvin, in, had, which was entitled, What It Takes to Be Great. He makes two key points. The lack, again, of natural talent is irrelevant to great success. The second note he makes is the secret to success, he suggests, is painful and demanding practice. And that's, again, this deliberate practice and hard work. What he said in his research is that it's critical, and it's, it's, it's a critical reality, that we are not hostage to some naturally uh, granted level of talent. We can make ourselves what we wish to be. In fact, scientists have discovered how experts are made and how people become great. And the key is what, again, we talked about effortful study and deliberate practice. Ask yourself this question. Who do you and who would you identify as a champion in your eyes, in your field? Whatever that field is. Now ask yourself this question. How did they become so good? How did your champion, those persons you would identify as champion, get so good? For example, how did athletes like LeBron James or Serena Williams or any of the other great performers get so good? What's suggested, uh, if you will, is that they accomplished that mainly through the tenets of deliberate practice. What is deliberate practice? Number one, focus on technique as opposed to outcome. It's like if I were going to become a good golfer, which is really a stretch for me because I play golf for fun, but if I were going to become a great golfer, I would have to focus on how I swing, the technique for my swing, as opposed to what happened after I swing. So it's like focus on the technique as opposed to the outcome. The second 
a principle of deliberate practice is set specific goals. And thirdly, get specific, relevant, prompt feedback and and most importantly, use it. Now, the question could be raised, well, this is fine for an athlete, well, how would it work for a leader? If you're a leader or wish to be and you want to perform at your best, understand these same principles, these same fundamentals for achieving success. They involve essentially focusing on what you do as a leader. What's the technique you use to relate to people? What's the techniques you use to build trust and character and show your character? What's the specific goals you have in relating to those who follow you? And getting feedback is really a gift. It, it's really required, if you will, if you're going to get, get good. If you are a leader and you're not getting feedback, you're missing um, a terrific source of growth and information that helps you personally and professionally. Those of us who work with others, not everybody do you want feedback from, but there are folks who will give you honest and good feedback, and you'd want to honor that, you'd want to ask for it, you'd want to use it again. But again, it's really around your looking at what's the technique I need to use, what's the goal I'm going to shoot for, and what specific feedback I'm going to ask about what it is I do so that I can get better and better. We're coming up on a break uh, stay with me because we're going to go to nearly the, the, the ending part of our discussion, but I want to get you to hold on. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network.
are tuned in to the Leadership Forum, making an impact through effective leadership. To reach host Bernard E. Robinson or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you would rather send an email, you may send it to leadershipforum at ihdinc.org. Now, back to the Leadership Forum. Hey, welcome back. Thank you for staying tuned in. For those who are just joining us, this is the Leadership Forum. I'm Bernard Robinson, your host. We have been talking this morning about competence and how to, if you will, the last piece of our discussion, how to become, if you will, a top performer and stay in the winner's circle. And we talked about the whole notion of deliberate practice, getting better at what you do as a leader, as a performer of any sort. And we said simply that, you should focus on the technique as opposed to the outcome. Set specific goals and get specific relevant feedback. Now, I want to just work with this just for a few minutes before we move past it. And my question to you is, do you have one area in your leadership responsibility where you really would like to do better at? You'd like to get more, more, more impact from? You'd like to be able to use it to be more uh, successful and effective as a leader. Effective is a better word than successful, but effective as a leader. What would that practice be? What would that technique be? What would that area be? And the, 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 what I'd like to ask you to do as you consider that is what's the technique that you would need in order to get, technique you'd need to use in order to get better at that area. Let's take an area, for example, that leaders are very responsible for. Let's call it communicating with uh, your your team and, and the members of your team. What would be a technique you would use to enhance the quality of that communication with your team, whether that team is one person, two persons, or 22? And the idea is focus on what's needed. What would be that technique that would be needed? Is it a, a monthly or, or weekly or more, a day-by-day meeting that you'd have and you'd focus on being clear or clearer about the vision that you have for the organization? But again, to apply what you're hearing here, the idea is from a leadership and a learner's perspective, what is that area that you would need to begin to deliberately practice. There are a host of books out on the marketplace from crucial conversations to others, and all of them involve techniques and skills and information that one can use. But it really comes down to how do you apply all of that in this particular method, if you will, of becoming a deliberate practicer and one of one who is, is uh, uh, going through what's called effortful study is to really find a particular top topic or target. So this is more than just information. It becomes something that you can apply. So I, I want to challenge you to figure out an area in your leadership where you'd like to get better at and then think about the particular technique you use to get there and the specific goal you have for yourself in executing that technique and then getting feedback from those who are your peers, perhaps if you're a leader, maybe more appropriate your peers on how well you do and how well you're doing. I want to um, 
share with you a quick story, and then I'm going to move us along, if you will, because I want to give you, as I said, as we had a chance to move along, I wanted to share with you these 17 competencies I, I think that you find them useful as you think about your own leadership capacity. They come from uh, the, the program that I mentioned, the Skills of an Effective Leader, and it not only comes with the competence, but it comes with a model, so I hope to get both of them to you. But I have a grandson who uh, at this time is now going on 18 years old, but at the time that I think about in the way I've told the story and the way I want to frame it for you, he's thir- he was 13 years old. Uh, he was about six feet. Uh, he's now about six three now, but he was growing at that point, and he was playing junior varsity basketball uh, for his high school. Not at thirteen, but at thirteen, he was getting ready to go into like the uh, ninth grade. He had just begun his first experience with organized ball, uh, and he was pretty good. He loved the game, but he was pretty good, and and, and he's always loved basketball. As he had begun to play, I noticed that he had, he's a fierce competitor. And truthfully, I believe uh, has a good potential to be an even better player than he's even right now. But what I noticed, though, is that he, in his competitiveness, didn't like to lose, uh, like a lot of young guys who play the game at his age. Now, I had no intention to press pressure him and really wanted to give kind of gentle guidance. He asked me to help him learn a few things about the game, though because he knows I love the game of basketball just as much as he does. And I guess thought I might be able to share a few things uh, as well. In preparation for our sessions together, I I didn't want to start with do this and do that discussion focus on skill. Rather, where I intended to start is with understanding the game and what is required to be successful in playing his game and his position in it. What I did and what I meant was I wanted to have him understand that the fundamentals of achieving success as a basketball player involve understanding the game and being knowledgeable and clear about what I call the O-R-S-S. Uh, his name is Elijah and his brother Isaiah, who was 6'3 at the time, he was 16, he's now 6'6. Six, six. But uh, I, I talked to him about understanding this O-R-S-S. Understanding the object of the game. What, what is the object of the game? What's the object of the game that you play as a leader? What are the rules? What are the rules of the game? What are the strategies that one can use to get good at the game? In this case, we're talking basketball. And then finally, the skills. Now, I hope you notice that I put skills at the end because skills are what you would work on and in many cases what you think you'd have to work on first. But what I really realized was that in order to help Elijah get this game under his belt and really be good at it, is that he needed to understand the object of the game. What is it we're doing? What is this game? What is the game of leadership? In some cases, I look at the public arena, I'm not sure that the leaders have looked at and understand the object of the game of leadership. It really isn't about Uh, whether you win all the time or lose. It's about understanding the process of influence because leaders are responsible for influencing others. So understand the object of the game. Understand the rules, the rules that we stated somewhat earlier in our discussion on this show, on the forum. The rules have to do with relationships. There's nothing that happens without relationships. In fact, everything is relationships. All else is details, as I will often say. 
but understand the rules of the game. The rules of leadership come through uh, a relationship, character, and trust. If one can't engender those between those that they're trying to influence, all bets off in terms of whether you get them to really want to follow you or become a leader that others want to follow. Then it's a matter of strategy and looking at what's the strategy that I need in order to make sure that I move this process to where I'd like it to be. And finally, skills. Skills are different. Skills allow you to be consciously competent, unconsciously competent, or wherever. But what are the what are the skills of the game? So the ORB, the ORSS is where I would start even for you as a leader. Uh, I want Elijah, I wanted Elijah to understand what he needed to understand about the game so well that all of the X's and the O's, all of the plays that he would play, they would be in the context of what is this game? My question to you as a leader is what's the game you're in? What's the game that you are responsible for at your workplace and where you lead others? Later on, as you continue to understand the object, then you can deal with the skills. And all of us are trying to get better at that, myself included. So what is this model that I talked about earlier? What is this idea of uh, the model that you could use to become an effective leader? And this is now moving beyond the idea of competency to really kind of a context for understanding uh the whole process of leadership, at least from my perspective. In the skills of an effective leader, I think the model that I want to introduce to you is called the CLIMB model. And it's three letters, C-L, five letters, C-L-I-M-B. And it really doesn't, the letters I'll give the, the, the what the acronym means in a minute, but it doesn't begin until you have a vision. Stated simply, Every leader who is going to be effective in the leadership should have a vision of what it is that they see for themselves as leaders, and if they're carrying others with them, what's the vision that they have for those who they wish to follow them? And and then that's the starting place. Let me give you what these acronyms mean, because they are, in fact, laid out pretty clearly in, in, in the source book that I mentioned. But the C stands for simply this. You must, as a leader, create and communicate a clear and, if you will, compelling vision. No one signs on for just any vision. So the leader's job is to start with creating and communicating effectively, if you will, a clear and compelling victory vision which is, and will be victory. The L is to strive wherever and however you might to link everyone to that vision. Link everyone's roles, link everyone's responsibilities to the vision. That, in fact, is what will make a company, whatever company you name in this country and others as well, will allow folks to be working on the same page, working for the same mission or vision. The I simply says, invest yourself and your energy and efforts to live out the vision. No one really wants to follow a leader who they don't believe has the commitment that they are being asked to have to that vision. So you must invest yourself and you must, if you will, as many will say, walk the talk. You must then continually 
communicate and address what you see as the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities and threats that get in the way of your getting that vision accomplished. That is the M. That is continuously manage your work processes so that you can identify what's working, what's not, what are opportunities and what are threats. And then finally, once you've done those four steps, is to build and maintain credibility. If you lose your credibility, then you may have bets off, if you will. Now, I want to get you to think with me, because we're not going to get to those 17 competencies, but I want to just talk about a summary for today and kind of give you some key points. I'm calling it Bernard's Top 10 Tips for Your Journey to the Top. If you've been given the privilege to lead, don't waste the opportunity. Number one, listen to what's going on in your head. Watch your thinking and guard your attitude. Number two, always pay attention to process. It provides the road signs for success and danger, and it often provides a pathway to high performance and leadership success. B, three, be present in the moment. Mentally be engaged in the moment. Be accountable and responsible. Take advice, but remember you're responsible for what you do with that advice. Be humble. Uh, you, you, you can't beat it. Number six, keep your word. There's impossible for you to make it forward with people and people with you if you don't keep your word. Be determined, be persistent, and work hard. When necessary, be insistent. Number nine, focus your attention and wisely use your time. And number 10, communicate and deal with people through your integrity. I think these 10, in fact, I would almost want to say a little bit more about number number five, but nonetheless, be humble, and I could say a lot about that, because it, it really is one that fills your pockets with opportunities. When you think about what we've discussed today, I guess what I'd like to ask is maybe the two questions I always ask, and that is one, how can you personally apply, apply what you thought about and heard about and heard on today's show to become a more effective leader? And two, what questions do you have that would allow us to continue our discussion on this topic? I'm always interested and anxious to hear from you about what you think about the question number one is yours. Question number two, what questions do you have that you would share with me? So I really want to encourage you to do that. I want to uh, thank you for listening. And those things that we didn't capture today, I'm sure down the line we will. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Leadership Forum. My desire would be that you'd make someone's life better through the quality of your leadership this week and find a way to take what you've learned and use it productively in the people that you lead. I hope as well that you'll join me next week. We have a terrific program and a terrific guest with an inventive way of looking at uh, education for young people. Our title is The Teacher is a Leader. It's a little bit longer title than that, but it's a good good show. You'll find it on on the uh, on the channel. You can go and take a look at it ahead of time. In the meantime, I want to thank you for listening and being a part of the leadership forum. Again, I want to suggest and ask you to make someone's life better through the quality of your leadership this week, and just simply say I'd like to wish you uh, an outstanding day and an even better week. I'm Bernard Robinson. See you next week on the Leadership Forum. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Forum, making an impact through effective leadership. 
Be sure to join Bernard E. Robinson for another edition of the program next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We wish you an outstanding week.